0: And while they're going, you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 105, is where we're going to um, be at today. Psalm 105. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, as we open your word today. And as we will read things, at times will might be more difficult for us to understand than others. Help us not to run into error as we look at your word. Guide us. We just sang a song that you're our hope in life and death. And it's easy to say that you are our hope in life. But to think that in death that you are still our hope... Boy, that is easy to say, but yet very difficult to live out. And so as we talk about some of the more difficult topics in this world, give us complete wisdom, guide my lips and the words that I say. Help me to go no further than Scripture allows. In your Son's name we pray, amen. When we lived in southern Wisconsin, there was a billboard right outside of the town of Janesville. And every, as we drove into Janesville, that would be the area that everybody would do their shopping. And it said on the bullet in this billboard, it said, think. And then underneath it said, do it before it's illegal. And there was a point that they were trying to make is you need to be people who think through things. Don't just assume things or don't just hear because someone else said it. It's interesting, as we study the Bible, we will find that the Bible gives us a clear picture of reality. And at the same time, too, as we study the Bible, there will be some things that we will want explained in more detail that God's Word may not give us the detail we may desire. And at times, the Bible will explain things that we ask the Bible as we look at hard questions. It will explain things to us. And that sometimes we may not like what it says. The hardest part for all of us as followers of God is that at times when we read what the text says and we don't like the answer, what are we going to do? Sadly, we as believers at times like to twist Scripture to make it more tolerable to our thinking. That is hard. Or, like many, we try to then defang God and elevate man to a status of God-likeness. We rip him from his throne and we place man up there and we say, this will answer it all. Today we're going to look at a topic. It's a topic that I would say uh, I was looking forward to preaching and as I started working through it, I looked forward to it less and less as the day went on because there are so many mind and pitfalls along the way as we walk through this. But then at the end, about halfway through the week, I said one of the wonderful things is that I'm bound by Scripture and we need to say what Scripture says and leave it where Scripture leaves it. That is the peace, but it also at the time as I was walking through this and I, as I... Many times we'll verbally process a sermon with my wife. She goes, well, you can't go down that route. And I said, I know, I'm trying not to. So I'm just saying it out loud now, trying to stay with what the Word of God says. Because in this topic we're going to talk about, there are so many things we want to try to bring it down, figure it all out, and give it back to God and say we have it all figured out. Because we're going to handle the topic of evil and suffering in a two-part series. We're going to talk about evil today, and we're going to talk about suffering next week. Now, one of the reasons we're doing this is because as we walk through the Bible, when we run into evil, we need to have a biblical understanding of evil, and we need to have a biblical understanding of how God interacts with that evil. And if we don't understand that, I would argue we miss out on the whole understanding of Scripture. Because here's what happens. We live in a world where the world likes to attack Christianity, and here's how they attack it. It says, your Bible says that God is loving, He is good, He is holy, He is wise and all-powerful. That's what your Bible says, you Christian, and we all sit there and say, yes, it does. And then they look at us and say, well, if massive evil exists in this world, God then cannot exist, or God is not loving, good, holy, wise, and all-powerful. So you Christian, tell me how you're going to handle this evil. And so... What happens is this. The world will take these things like love, good, holy, wise, and all-powerful God. And first of all, what they do is they define it in their own terms. They do not biblically understand what love, good, holy, wise, and all-powerful God is described in the Bible. They will describe it as they think what is good, love, all-powerful, and everybody else, everything else there. And then they create a straw man and attack it. Now, in working on this sermon topic, as we had said before, our goal here is to preach the Bible in all of its fullness, so when the Bible talks about evil, which in Genesis chapters 1 through 9, we have evil all over the place, so we have to talk about this. I want to caution us as followers of God, we need to be very careful to become YouTube theologians, or you want to call it social media theologians. And sadly, what can happen is this. When those things happen, we run to a YouTube link or we run to a saying from a person we like, and then we say, what do you think of this? And we don't allow Scripture to be our guide. We allow people we follow and what they have to say on this or that. Just a word of warning, we all can fall prey to it where we quote our favorite people as if that they are speaking the Bible instead of actually quoting the Bible. And so I want to be cautious on all sides of that. And so then when the world attacks a Christian and says, if God is loving, if God is holy, if God is wise, if God is all-powerful, why does evil exist? Here's how we like to respond. And there's about four different ways the church responds. And I want to be sure we're clear on this. Only one of them do they use a Bible verse. All right, One of them, the one which some sadly Christians think the world comes at us with evil, and we say God is good, and then there's evil in the world, and so the only answer the Christian thinks we've got is they pull out the Deuteronomy 29.29 29 card that says the hidden things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, and we say, please don't ask any more questions. That's all I've got, all right? That's one answer, and I'm going to say that's not how that verse is debused. That's not a, like a uno, get out of you know, jail free card, all right? Now, there's parts of it that are helpful, all right? But that's not when you come to a hard teaching of the Bible, you don't just say, I don't know, God knows, not me, all right? That's, that's not an answer, especially when the Bible speaks very clearly on these topics. Another one will be this. Well, God's not responsible. Adam and Eve are. And the problem with that is the reason why we say evil exists, as a Christian will say, is Adam and Eve's fault, That only poses a question, why did God allow Adam and Eve the option of making sinful choices if he created them? And where does so, we end up under the throne of God again, asking that question. Why did God create them with the option of doing these things? Some may say, well, no, it's the devil's fault that these things are this way. Again, why did God create the devil or the fallen angels? Because guess we still end up under the throne of God, saying, God, why did you do it this way? Or our last one is this. God really had no idea these things would happen, and He's doing His best to correct things on the fly. Either way, where does it all end up? Back at the throne of God. God, why this way? And so we have to ask ourselves, why this way? No matter how hard we try to explain it away, we always end up at the throne of God and how God... deals with these things in the world and we're literally debating and talking about the very nature and the purposes of God. Now as we walk through this though, now there is going to be massive chasms on either side of this ditch. And both sides of the ditch you can fall into. One side of the ditch is determinism and everything is planned out, nothing matters or whatever. We're just lived in a deterministic world where we're just a bunch of puppets. Or the other side, that God has no clue what's going on and He's just reacting. And we just live in a wonderful world of just circumstantial things happening. And so we have to say, what does the Bible say on these things? Because we love to bounce off of both sides. And so in order to understand this, I think, we need to look at the three types of evil the Bible describes. Now, there are three types of evil. There is natural evil, there is moral evil, and there is supernatural evil. Again, there is natural evil, there is moral evil, and there is supernatural evil in this world. So let's look at the natural evil. Natural evil are things like diseases that come through and wipe out people. There are storms that come through, like, let's say, hurricanes and and all the other things that come through with that. There are famines. It's the natural evil that just wipe out whole civilizations, and there are animals that want to eat us and kill us. So let's just walk through a couple of these just in our history to show you that there is natural evil. Here we go: the Great Flu epidemic in 1918 went through and killed 100 million people. Roughly, most of the people were 20 to 40 years old, and the older, sorry, the stronger your immune system was, the more deadly this was on you. Because literally the virus came through and wiped them out. It started with a group of guys in World War I that were from a, in Kansas that were working on a pig farm. And then because they went over to service, it spread through the whole world. And in one year, you had 100 million people dying. It literally was incredibly healthy people would get sick. And within days, they are dead. And there was nothing we could do. It's an incredibly ag- aggressive virus. To help you out... Most of us have survived this. We had an epidemic that was a four-year epidemic, and to give you a little understanding, in COVID deaths worldwide, those who died of or with are roughly 3 million worldwide, and you see how we responded to this thing in our own lives. In 2004, a tsunami in the Indian Ocean killed, in one day, 230,000 people dying because of the earth crust moving, and a wave of water came and wiped out all those around in the Islands in the Indian Ocean. Not only that, but one million people die every single year from mosquito-borne illnesses. I'm not trying to scare you, but you live on a very dangerous and deadly planet. All right, The planet is out to get you, if right? we want to put it in so many ways. Right, And some of us create our own drama as we walk through the woods and thinking that every bear is going to eat you. Notice we have natural evil. We also have moral evil. Things like murder, stealing, and lying. These are moral evil all around us. In just one city in the United States, I brought up the moral evil in that city this last year. It's the city of Chicago. There was 617 murders. There was over 11,000 robberies and about 29,000 motor vehicle thefts just in one city in the United States. Supernatural evil. This is the idea of Satan and his demons. First Peter 5, 8, we've talked about quite a bit, that Satan walks around like a roaring, lying, seeking whom he may devour. All right. This is the continual satanic and demonic forces of this world looking to whom they may devour. So here's one fact of life. This world is filled with evil, suffering, and death. Just to help you out. All right. Now go home and enjoy your, your afternoons. But let's be honest then. The question has to say, I just went through them and I could have gone through more disaster, more disease over and over and over and over again. So we do have to ask you a question. Where is God? Why is this happening? And if it's any part of His plan, in any way, shape, or form, does that stop God from being good? Or are all these things just happening over there somewhere apart from God? We have to ask ourselves the question, did God create evil? Because in Genesis you said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, so if everything else from that, what do we do with this? God and evil. Well, there is a church father, his name is pronounced two different ways, either Augustine or Augustine, uh, that really wrestled with this issue. And I think he gave, God gave him incredible insight to give us, even this church day, understanding of this because I really do believe he gives us much for us to grapple our brains around Augustine's argument was this and I'll walk through us this very slowly evil is not a thing evil is not a created thing so like let me help you out we don't have a like a lump of evil up here on the on the podium by me all right like there's evil over there as if evil is a lump of something evil is not a thing Actually, what he helped the church understand is that evil is a perversion or lack of thing. Evil is a perversion or lack of thing. So like you give an example, his famous example was light and darkness. All right. Light is actually comes from a source. Darkness is actually measured by the lack of light. So like I don't need to come into a room that does not have light and say I'm going to bring darkness into the room. If I want to bring darkness into the room, what do we do? Turn off the light. And so then, this is the part that he really phenomenally helped us understand. And this is a part our culture doesn't get either right now. Good and evil are not equal. Good and evil are not equal in opposite things. It is not that you have 50% good in this world and 50% evil in this world. As if that they are equals attacking each other. Evil and good are not equal and opposite so let me help you out through this. Good is an eternal reality found in God. Good is an eternal reality found in God. Evil is a lacking of that good. So let me, let's walk through this pastorally counseling-wise. Evil likes to promise, but evil cannot fulfill its promise because evil is no thing. It is lacking any substance. So evil cannot promise, cannot fulfill what it has promised. Because evil says, joy and satisfaction is found in me. And evil can't give that. Because what is evil? It is the lack of goodness. That is why when God promises, and when God says something, He's able to fulfill it because He actually is a thing. And I would even say, the thing. The source of all things. Let's think through this a little bit more for a moment here. That is why, You cannot fix evil in this world apart from God because you cannot fix nothing with nothing. So when the world tries to say we're going to fix evil with a social program devoid of God and His Word, guess what's going to happen? Chaos. But we think, though, if we put them in what we think are good things, apart from Scripture, you will find there is no answer. This is why at the end of the day, When you look at the world around us, the only thing the world has to tell people is do this. You need to be good for goodness sake. That's not an answer. Because who's even determining that good? If it's not God, you're saying, let's do something for something's sake. And guess what you always do? Something. It's like for those of us in a hunting analogy, if I were to pull my bow back and it would shoot and if the target was in front of me and it kept hitting here to the left. All right, what you would do is you would in normal world you would figure out why the bow is off. What the world does it just moves the target over here and so then when you you hit you're hitting it all the time. And they go, "See, we fixed it." You're like, "No, you didn't." Because the standard doesn't change. The standard is the word of God. But when you have no standard and standard is just whatever you want to make it, that's why we live in a day and age where there is no answer. these things. But here's what the Bible tells us. The sovereign God of all things is the only one who can promise and deliver what he has actually promised. Now we're going to look at God's rule over all three forms of evil. And I want to make sure we're clear on this. When the Bible talks about God as ruler, the Bible introduces God as creator, sustainer, and ruler over all things. This is how Genesis 1, 2, and 3 introduces it. So guess where we need to keep God as we walk through this? As the ruler, sustainer, and giver of all things. And we need to not remove him from his spot because we may not like something that is said or done. We need to say God is the ruler over it all. So let's just walk through God, the ruler over natural evil. Remember in Genesis chapter 6, we're going to get to Psalm 105. Just help me out. Usually the front doors the front porch is not this big of the sermon, but today we have a wraparound porch because there's a lot we have to talk about before we hop to the text. All right, so hopefully you've grasped if you hear nothing else we say, when we talk about evil, evil is a lack of thing. God is good and God is the source of all good. Alright, if you forget everything else we said, don't worry about it. focus on that thing. That is why when you pursue evil as if it's something great, you're gonna find it as worthless, unable to give whatever it gives. All right, now, let's walk down through, I would, I'm going to argue right now, some of the more difficult passages of Scripture that are taught. And we're going to try and my best in here. I'm already going to give you, if I wander away, stay with what the text says. I'm really trying hard to stay with what the text says, because there's some things I want to answer in my own mind, but Scripture does not give us any further than this, all right? So it's like, God, give me the reins to stay within the Word of God says. In Genesis chapter 6, God ruling over all natural evil, Genesis 6 God floods the earth in justice. man rebels, right? God kills humanity and animals, and how does he kill them? With the flood. Genesis 41, 28 through 33, God is ruling over the land, and what does he do in Genesis 41, 28 through 23? Don't worry, we'll get to that in a second. Stay in Psalm 105 like I encourage you to be, all right? Genesis 41, 28-33, God ruling over the land. He brings plenty to the land of Egypt for seven years. And what does He do afterwards? Bring seven years of famine, right? And all of this is being done to bring Jacob and his family to Egypt, to have them as slaves, to one day bring them back to the promised land. God using famine, God using flood we have so far. Now let's look at Psalm 105, because this is the psalm talking about all of God's wondrous works. Psalm 105, we're going to be in verse 16. Notice God as ruler over all of these things, over natural evil. Here's God ruling over him. Verse 16, when he, speaking of God, what did he do? He summoned a famine on the land. God ruling over it, what did he say to the famine? I'm not going to whistle, but here we go. Famine come over the land. Notice what he said. He sent and broke all the supply of bread. He sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in the collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass, that the word of the Lord had tested him. The king sent and released him. The rule of their people set him free. He made him lord over his house, a ruler over his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful, and they were made stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servant. He sent Moses, his ser- ser- servant, and Aaron, to whom he had chosen. They performed his sign among them, the miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the dark land dark. They did not rebel against his word. He turned their waters into blood, and caused their fish to die, and their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the king. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats through the country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through the land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and scattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, the young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation of the land, and he ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down the firstborn of the land, the first fruits of all their strength. Think through this for a moment. What is God doing here over natural evil? He's controlling it. So what does the Bible tell us? God's interaction with natural evil, he controls it for his ultimate purpose. It's interesting in Exodus 6 through 13, the purpose of all of these plagues is that God would show his power over all of Egypt. God's saying, Here are the things that Egypt ran to for their safety. I'm going to show you that I am more powerful than all of them, and brought plague after plague after plague on the nation of Israel. On the nation of Egypt. It's interesting, too, even in 2 Samuel 24, 15, when David sins, what does God do? He sends a plague. God, the one who's in control of all of these things. So point number one. One or two on your notes there is God is the ruler over natural evil. God uses natural evil in these ways for his ultimate purpose. Number three, the rule of God over moral evil. Now, we want to make sure we're clear on this. Moral evil would be things we would say are committed by man, but let's make sure we understand who man is. In Romans chapter, sorry, in Romans, in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood in the Noahic covenant, we have, Noah was clearly told by God, I'm not going to destroy the earth again, even though you guys deserve it. This is Tim's summary on it, all right? That you are wicked from birth. You deserve my judgment every single day. So when we think about the moral evil that is happening, we do not have man that is just a really nice guy that if you put enough of them together, we're just going to be really great, and we all just whistle together. What God is saying is, man, every single day you rebel against me, and you are under the, literally the judgment of death. And what does man do? Instead of falling on their knees and saying, God, forgive us, let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. God's rule over moral evil. We see this here in Psalm chapter 2. So let's look at the way the psalmist speaks here. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Great question. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Now, to help you out real quick, who is a king? Someone who is in power over a certain area. They think they're pretty special. These are the top of all tops. Of things these are the ones who say we have all the power we know it all we've got it under control here are the Kings even the rulers because rulers are the ones who tell other people what to do and these kings and rulers are gathering together and here's what they say they're gathering together against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us we have rebellious rulers saying we are going to do our own thing we are going to reject what God has to say. We're going to rebel. And when we're going to rebel, we're going to go against everything that God has set up, all of the boundaries, all of the things that He has set up. And we see this happening all throughout history. We're seeing it even happening today. We're going to take the things that God has put into place, things like marriage, things like gender, things like all of these other things, and we are just going to rebel against them, and we're going to make our own plans. Well, verse 4 continues God's response to this. He who sits, notice he is not pacing. Notice he is not leaning forward, wondering what to do. Notice he is not off his throne saying, I better figure this out. He who sits. When a king sits, it is saying there's nothing more that needs to be done. I am in control. When a king gets up and paces back and forth, he means he's nervous about what's going on. Verse 4, he who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. The idea of mocks them. Basically saying, try all you might, my plans will not be thwarted. Rebel all you want. Go after all of these things, my plans will not be thwarted. We see this in Genesis 37 with Joseph and his brothers. What would Joseph's brothers do? They wanted to kill him, right? They lied about him. They sold him into slavery. And these brothers literally meant... And you'll find out in Genesis 50, 20, they said, we meant this for evil. Like we were trying to do evil things here. To thwart the the promise that, remember Joseph said, one day I had a dream, you're all going to bow before me. And what do they say? We are going to thwart this by killing the dreamer. They hated him. But yet, turn with me to Genesis 50. His brothers meant this for evil, and there was no confusion. Did they mean this for evil? Because they literally did. They literally were like, let's kill this guy. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, Joseph says, you meant evil against me. That is one of the most underlying, like, really? Like, we saw here and said, we're going to kill him. And then we're going to lie to him, to dad. We're going to sell him into slavery. And you could just keep going on and on and on. Another passage here, too. We're not going to turn there. But Joseph's brothers, they they knew this was evil, what they did, because it was right on the top of their minds. Because when Joseph gives them a little grief, they say, didn't he cry out, hey, guys, don't kill me? And what do we do? We wanted to kill him. And let's just talk about evil on a totally different level. Here's what happened on a totally different level. They went to kill their brother. When most people do a murder or kill someone, they become sick inside. Normal reactions to it. But the more twisted and evil someone is, is also seen in how they handle it. Because guess what Joseph's brothers did after they threw him in a pit to die and they could hear him calling out. The text tells us that they sat down and had a meal. They ate. Showing their hatred to him was so great that they wanted to be done with him that they could sit down and literally eat food afterwards. But notice what Joseph said. What you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Remember, God is the ruler over all things. God is ruling over even these things that the brothers meant for evil, and God is ruling over them for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So either we have in the story of Joseph God ruling over all things, making things all happen to his purpose, or we just have that God planned Joseph to go down to Egypt and everything else is a coincidence. That just happened. So let's go through what the Bible says. God is absolutely sovereign and the ruler of all things because he created things out of nothing. Now, I want to make sure we don't fall into the other side of the ditch. Turn with me to James 1. James 1 here. In James chapter 1, we're reminded here of this truth. James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Bible describes God as the potter, we the clay. The Bible tells us He is the sustainer of all things, He rules over all things, and He will consummate all things to His glorious end. He is governing history to its ultimate purpose. Yet God does not cause anyone to sin nor tempts anyone to sin. Each person is tempted when they're Lord by their own desires. There's not one molecule in this universe that is out of line with God's purpose. Again, we'll make sure we're quick. What's the error that we don't want to fall into? Determinism. The Bible does not teach determinism. What the Bible does teach is God is ruling over all things and working all things to his end, that even rebellion of man is not going to thwart God's plan. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If anyone were to ask you, what is the most rebellious act that mankind has ever done? I would say to you, it would have been The killing of Jesus, Jesus, God's only begotten Son. I think we could argue that's probably the most heinous evil that has ever been done. So let's read how Peter speaks of this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, for it is not possible for him to be held by it. I just want to summarize what this text is teaching, and I want to go no further than what this text is teaching. Here's what we have. That God, before the time began, in his definite eternal plan, ordained that his son would die that he would die by evil men doing what the evil that they have done, and these evil actions would not thwart God's eternal plan, because the men that killed Christ hated him, and they committed evil acts. Yet it was all still part of God's plan, and God's plan was not thwarted by it. Now, you might want to say, but Tim, what about this, what about that, what about this? And I'm going to say, I just said what Scripture says, so let's be silent. Well, how does it all work out? How about this? How does this? And I would say, here's what we're left with. God is the ruler, sustainer of all things. And we may not go any further than what the Bible says. Were these, men, were these men guilty of evil acts? Yes. Was it part of God's plan? Yes. Okay, then we move on to the next verse. You may say, well, how does that all work out? I would say, now this is when we can go to Deuteronomy 29, 29, because we talked about what has been revealed. What has been revealed? God is working his plan to his ultimate glory. Man is responsible for what he does. The evil that man does, he will be judged for. And this is all part of God's beautiful plan. And guess what we stop? We stop. We are not threatened by what about this, what about that? We, where scripture speaks, we speak. And where it stops, we stop. Because there's a passage of Scripture we're going to turn to that I will tell you, I will read it, and you will say, explain this to me, and it is going to be very difficult to explain all that is going on here. It's going to be God's rule over supernatural evil. Turn with me to Job. The reason why I want to say this to you is there's a phenomenal passage, because Job is going to ask God a bunch of questions for what's happening in his life. When, When Job is asking him all these questions, you know how God answers him? He says, sit down and I'm going to question you. You've been asking me an awful lot of questions. Now I'm going to question you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you think you know all things. And Job's response at the end is, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I am going to be silent. It's about as biblical way as you saying, I am going to say no more. All right. So this is why I'm saying we get a little bit of a peel back of what's going on here. And I think we need to go no further than what we see here. God's rule over supernatural evil. Job 1.6 Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. it kind of sounds like 1 Peter 5.8, doesn't it? <laughs> Prowling back and forth, right? looking for someone to devour. Guess what he's going to find? He's going to look for someone to devour, right? And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for no reason? You've put a hedge around him, and his house, and all that he has on every side. You've blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch him, and he will curse you to your face. He, this is the first health, wealth, and prosperity gospel trying to be taught. Because what is Job saying? What is Satan saying? The only reason they follow you is because you've given a bunch of stuff. You take away the stuff, what are they going to do? Run from you. As if stuff means God's blessing. Let's just, well, that's its own battle in and of itself. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. How is he able to say that? Because all that Job has is in whose hands? God. And he says to Satan, all that he has now is in your hands against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of God. Here's what the text is saying, and this is incredible. God is saying, I've had Job in my hand. I'm going to place him in your hand. But I'm going to give you boundaries that you cannot cross apart. Because Satan, even you, are under my control. It's just mind-boggling to think through that for a second. Satan is still under the rule of God. Satan is acting within the confines of God's rule. So now what are we going to see? This is interesting because I think you see natural evil and moral evil also playing out here. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck them down, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped. So we have these marauders coming through, moral evil. While he was speaking, there came another one. Fire of God fell from heaven, burning up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone escaped. What do we have there? I would argue natural evil. All right? You're seeing all these evils playing out in the story of Job. And while he was speaking, there came another, the Chaldeans, from three groups, and made a raid on your camels, and they took them, again, moral evil, and I alone have escaped. And while they were speaking, your sons and daughters, who were eating and drinking wine, and behold, a great wind blew across the wilderness and struck the corners of the house, and the wind blew and fell, and they all died, and I alone escaped. Then Job arose, tore his garments, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. Job's response to this was this. Naked, I came from my mother's womb. Meaning, I came with nothing. Naked, I shall return. I will die with nothing. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And he doesn't say, cursed be the name of the Lord, does he? He says, God is the ruler over all of these things. We're going to bless his name. I'm going to say a statement now that I truly believe, but do not ask me to debate this, because this is hard. God is not the author of everything he ordains. God had ordained that this was going to happen. But who was the author of it? You could list them. Job responds with saying this, all that is from the hand of God, and God is good. Because notice what the text goes on to say, and in all things Job did not sin or charge God with any wrong, as if God had sinned. I do not fully grasp that, but here's what I can tell you. There is nothing that happens that does not come through the hands of Almighty God. He is the ruler over all things. And He is good. So we're left, I believe, at the end of the day, with only two possibilities. You either believe that God is ruling over evil, or you believe that evil is ruling over God, and He is reacting as best He can. And I would say the second one, Scripture does not teach. What Scripture says is God is ruling over evil, bringing it all to His glorious end. So we say, what did we learn today? God rules over all things and is working all things to His glorious end. God rules over all things, and He is working all things to His glorious end. So, as a preacher friend of mine once said, I know him so well, I think it's almost me saying it, everything God does is perfect and completely wise, and is the fittest means to accomplish everything He has decreed. I do not understand, nor will I ever understand, how all these things work together for God's glory and His ultimate end. Maybe one day in heaven we will. But we must not go where Scripture does not go. We must stay where Scripture stays. He is the ruler over all things. And no matter how much evil man tries to rebel against God, it will not thwart God's plan. And we need to rest in that. Because what can happen is we like to screw the unscrutable. We like to go, well, what about this, Tim? Well, what about that? And I'll repeat again. God is the ruler over all things, and He is working all things, including evil, for His ultimate glory and purpose. And one day, when we get to heaven, we will see the beauty of this all played out. We will not be able to understand with a finite mind the infinite. It begins and it ends with trusting God. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 115. Because here is what I believe is the answer when someone says, God is loving, God is good, God is gracious, God is all of these other things, and evil exists, how can that be? I really do believe this is an answer that we the Scripture gives us. Psalm 115, verse... Why should the nations say, where is your God? The nations will come, people will come and say, we just saw this incredible evil happen. Where is your God? If your God is so good, if your God is so loving, if your God is so kind, as we determine loving, good and kind, as the world will say, then where is your God? And I believe the biblical answer is literally what the next verse says. And this is the part that we have to rest and trust in Him. Here is where God is. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. And that is enough. That is more than enough for us as believers. Do you truly trust Him? Because we're going to talk about suffering coming next. And there's going to be times in our own lives we say, do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? Because your trust is found when you go, where is God at the moment? And your answer is, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This is Habakkuk's answer that God gave him. Remember Habakkuk is saying, violence all over the place. God, when are you going to do something? And God says, sit down, I'll show you. I'm going to do something you didn't even believe. And Habakkuk is going to go, I don't believe you. God says, I, I kind of told you that. Right? But what is God going to say is the answer. At the end of the day, the way he responds, let's turn there real quick. This is a little extra for your own edification here. We're going to end with the book of Habakkuk because I really do believe this is the cry of the believer. And if you can't find Habakkuk, keep looking. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's in the book of the 12 there at the end. You can start in Matthew and try working backwards. I'll give you a minute to get there. And for those of you who pronounce it Habakkuk, please don't. It's Habakkuk. If you're Irish, you can say Isaiah, but nobody else says it that way. Here's what Habakkuk, when he sees all the evil going on around him. The the Babylonians or the Chaldeans are going to come through with evil and wipe out it all. And here's what he says in Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stall. Guess what's going to happen if all of these things are taken away? You die. All right. What is our response? God is not good, we're going to complain to him. The answer is yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer. He makes me tread on high places. Now you may go, well, wait a minute. Why did the fig tree, we all want to figure that part out, right? But what did we do? When we trust him, we say, God, you are the ruler, sustainer of all things. I think it's from this is where we need to go to our next understanding of suffering. Because I don't think if we, under, if we don't understand his rule over all things, that even what man means for evil, God is working together for his good and ultimate purpose. If we do not rest in that, we will not understand suffering at all. Because we're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about... We live in a world where suffering is all around us. How do we not get angry at God? Right, we've got to deal with that, and we'll deal with that next week. So in conclusion, when the world says, where is your God if he is good, if he is loving, if he is all of these, our response, our biblical responses, is, he is in the heavens doing what he pleases. We're going to sing a song talking about bind us together and I think I'll be honest with you Mia how does this have to do with evil and whatever I would go what binds us together is what our complete trust in God and God alone that there's gonna be things you do not understand but here's what we do understand God is working together all things for his ultimate glory and I would argue that is what binds us together in our faith and trust in Him. let me pray dearly father thank you for your word thank you for your truth help us to not go any further than what your word says Help us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In your son's name we pray. Amen.